The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. Until today, I've been completely in denial about this summer being over. That's why I cycled 40 minutes through the rain last week to be at the final day of a dead rubber draw between Middlesex and Derbyshire. I wasn't quite the last person to leave the ground, but it was close. But I can't pretend any longer. There's no more cricket. It's October tomorrow. And this is our last episode in this series of The Spin. It's really going to hurt leaving this summer behind. So instead, I've invited a whole bunch of people to relive it all over again. You may know Colin Salmon as General Zod from Krypton, but he's not just a Hollywood actor. He's also one of the people behind Cage Cricket, an indoor version of the game that's being used to promote social inclusion all over the world. Eleanor Oldroyd has watched a lot of cricket for BBC Five Live this summer, and I know she's struggling to let go of the season too, because I bumped into her at that Middlesex Derbyshire game last week. McFly drummer Harry Judd is back. I last saw him during the change of innings at the World Cup final when I told him that England had it in the bag. So I am looking forward to telling him I was right. And comedian Andy Zaltzman is probably the only man who can tell you all the records that had been broken this summer and make that answer entertaining. So for one final time, let's get on with the show. It's the... It's the... It's the... It's the the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that's going to charge down the pitch one last time and try not to cry when we're inevitably out. Around our oval table today, admiring our test match game, we have Colin at backward point, Ellie at cover, Andy at long on and Harry at square leg. And as you know, we've kept a spare seat in the studio all season for Michael Atherton and his picture is still reserving his spot at fine leg. It would, of course, be the perfect way to finish the season if we could speak to Michael today. Hello, Michael. Hello, Emma. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, thank you. It's very nice to be finally on your podcast. <laughs> well, it is a pleasure to have you here. I know it's been a marathon summer for you. You must be pretty exhausted. Yeah, it's been a fantastic summer. Uh, probably the best any of us uh, can remember, really. The World Cup, the Ashes, fantastic test match cricket throughout, an epic Final at Lords to end, uh, you know, what was a pretty good World Cup, they all thought. So, a brilliant summer, yeah. So, what's been your personal highlight, do you think? Like everybody else's, I think, that the two uh, epic ends to those matches at Headingley and Lords, the World Cup final, uh, which was hard to top, and then the Stoke innings at Headingley, which was as good as you know, anything I'd seen for a long, long time. But they'd be everybody's highlights, probably, but they were mine. <laughs> I was on commentary quite a bit towards the end of the Stokes innings and then managed to scramble through 1,600 words or something and the front page. So that was, that was, uh, that was good. And then the World Cup final was just happy. Yeah, it was a difficult one to cover, the World Cup final, wasn't it? It was tough, actually. I mean, it ended at 8 o'clock, 8.15 or something by the, by the time the, the Super Over was complete. Um, and then, obviously, you're getting quite late. For, for newspaper copy, at least. I mean, the telly finished about about eight fifteen, and then yeah, we've got an hour, an hour and fifteen to to scramble something through. But it seemed to go okay. <laughs> you do choose to put yourself through this. It's an extraordinary thing. No, I mean, um, I, I loved it actually. I, you, you get caught up in it. You don't quite watch as if you were, you know, in the crowd. I, I, I see these. The, the, the con cams that come in and, and show the commentators the commentating these days and, and sometimes you know if you go to BT Sport or something they're all in the studio going absolutely wild but I find myself at the end of these games just kind of watching intently trying to take a few notes and trying to take it all in so you, you see it very differently uh, to how you would as a, as a spectator just simply soaking it up drinking it in and enjoying it because you know that within an hour you've got to try and find 1500 words for the inside back and, and you know you try to find the right words on commentary as well so you kind of watch it differently but it's still enjoyable so so what you're saying is you bring the same intensity to your to your cricket coverage that that you did to your batting i think 
that the tension that just feels like exactly what had to happen you see this when you wanted something for so long emma you when you've waited for something <laughs> it's bound to disappoint isn't it can't take your call right now just leave your message after the tone and when you're done press hash or just hang up Hi, Michael. Uh, we don't have any more shows left, so we are going to try and call you back. Um, everyone here says hi. Hi, hi, Mike. hi. hi Michael. We miss you. <laughs> we need you. Well, since Athers is proving elusive once again, let's get on with the rest of the show. We always like to make sure you are warmed up before we start the podcast. So let's start with this little throwdown. What will you be doing to pass the time until the cricket season starts again next March? Andy, what will you be up to? Well, mostly just you know, watching imaginary test matches in my head, like any any other winter, um, and, until cricket starts again. Um, you always make me feel better about myself, Andy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and probably just watching back highlights or even ball-by-ball ball live coverage of this summer. <laughs> oh, I'm up for that. I'll yeah. come join you. Just, I mean, if you whack yourself on the head with a frying pan a few times so you forget the summer that's just been, then you can watch it all again without knowing what's going to happen. So that's... <laughs> Probably the best way to spend the next couple of months. Okay. Are people yeah. lining up to hit you on the head with a frying pan? Many, yes. <laughs> some within my family, some within audiences I've had at stand-up gigs. Yep. <laughs> Great. Ellie, what are you going to do? Um, I would like to say that I'm going to be going for long, crisp dog walks and cooking nourishing stews and snuggling down and watching Strictly and all those things. But actually, I think I'm going to be doing what, what's been happening for the last month, which is waking up at four o'clock in the morning, thinking about moments from the summer that's gone and reliving things which I'd completely forgotten. We were so spoiled, weren't we? There were so many incredible moments. There are so many memories from all the grounds that we went to throughout this ridiculous summer that you just feel like your brain can't process them in, in small doses, that you just need that time to, to really relive them properly. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to be doing an awful lot of. Now, there's, there's no cricket, but, but, but actually it just makes me feel right. We are now counting down to the start of the next cricket season. We are. Some I don't know how many have... days there are. I feel, like, I feel like I need to have a... Actually, doesn't Norcross have some kind he of countdown? He has a calendar. I was going to say, some of us calendar. have a countdown calendar and some of those people are down Norcross. <laughs> yes, yes. Right, OK, I'm going to channel Norcross and I'll never say that again. <laughs> Colin, what about you? Well, because the season ended so late and we had that late summer bit, it's not going to be as long a wait as we had last season. But um, with the cage cricket, we'll be going indoor and getting the kids playing and we're working with the Irish cricket board so we're building that scenario uh, with my steel band which we uh, I do as well um, I will be learning the new tunes from the Trinidad Carnival so we're ready for next season so that begins January and um, ultimately I'm always so busy doing something I'm you know working or playing but I, and I will probably find myself a lot on those channels Rewatching the 80s tests between somebody, you know, <laughs> every now and then. You yes. say, yeah, I'm not going to do it. But we'll you, all get stuck into you do the documentaries, it, you know. yes. Yeah. Harry, I think I know what you might be up to. Uh, yeah, definitely watching reruns. I've, I've, I don't <laughs> know if you've seen... That wasn't what I was going to say. I, I, I know. I don't know if you've seen on, on Sky Catch Up, they've got um, all sorts of cricket going on. Uh, reruns from the 90s, which is my particular favourite era. Um, I've actually... Started something rather particularly sad. Started collecting cricket bats <laughs> as of last week. I've Wait, always, you I've, started you've got, last you've, week? You've got to have to fill us in on something. Okay, so <laughs> here's the deal, right? I'm now in my, well, heading towards mid-30s. And the 90s is starting to feel very nostalgic for mm. me. And I grew up as a you know kid, born in 85, played cricket in the 90s. And so cricket bats from the 90s are really evoking strong feelings of nostalgia for me and I've always said to my brother who's two years older mm. I'd love to start collecting how do you do it I'm a complete technophobe as well and finally he was over the other day and we um, my brother came to stay with me in London and we spent three hours <laughs> about three hours just watching everything that Sky had and then we were hitting YouTube with complete badges and <laughs> What we did is we realised the thing to do with the you know technical side of things is to download the apps so you've got eBay Spock Gumtree, Facebook Marketplace, and I've got the whole thing covered now. 
and I'm just in the midst of a bid for a Grey Nichols Optimum. So there we so go. These I've are not signed bats. These are just no, no, no. bats as used by your heroes in yeah, the 1990s. Not so much heroes, yes, mm. but more so bats that I used. Yeah, there, um, was a, there was a lot of development in that time as there well. There was. Carving out the bat. I just realised what you said. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And for me, actually, the ones with signatures on aren't so appealing. Although I do have a couple of signed bats. I bought the Alistair Cook one that Grey Nichols did. And, and I'm very lucky to say that my aunt's um, husband, he's Australian, and I think his maybe uncle or father was on the boat where Bradman, Australian uh, side that Bradman was in, across to England, and got the Australian and English side to sign two bats. And one of them has been passed to me and one to my brother. Mm. So that's part of the collection. So yeah, I've got a kookaburra bubble coming over from Australia. <laughs> I've, uh, I've just had my first one arrive, which is the scoop. Yep. The, the Brian Lara record yeah, yes, scoop, yes, yes. Um, and I've got an eighty scoop. Wow! When as you well. start a collection, you go hard. Well, this like, is like you know, one week, and you've <laughs> already got multiple bats. I know. I want to roll. Like, I want to roll. People take years to do it's this. It's trying kind to of figure thing. out what the limit is and where you stop with the collection. So I feel. What are you like, going to do with them? Well, I, I, I see banisters up the stairs. Yes, so with cricket bats. I've already got two um, cricket bat holders made. One for the Bradman, one for the Cook, and. That's the the long term plan. It's fascinating for yeah. us cricket badgers. So there we go. That's what I've been doing, and I'm going on tour. Um, what does your firstly? What does your wife think of this new collection and this new obsession? <laughs> I don't think she knows. Although this morning, <laughs> she does now. Although this morning, no, I've had them ages. You know that one. Oh, I've had it ages. This morning, I said our cat was meowing. I said I can't believe it. The one morning our kids haven't woken us up, yeah. and the cat's woken us mm-hmm. up. And she went, "You must get to bed early, Harry. You're staying up all night looking at cricket bats online." <laughs> So she has noticed, but she doesn't know I'm, I'm buying them. Yes, um, there we go. So that's what I'll be really doing. Interesting, I think that's a really interesting collection because, like I say, the technology changed. Now I think about it. Back yeah, back if you yeah. see them all, you, yeah. know, you forget all the bats. Oh, it was lovely. Anyway, yeah. I could get one. I have, a, I have a bat from 1898 that belonged to my great-grandfather that was given to me by my, my grandmother. And, it's, uh, it's a, it, it, and he obviously used it for decades. It's, 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 mm. it's dark, almost ma- yeah. mahogany colour with all the oil that... Had been on it built up amazing. Yeah. That yeah. I took it out on its 100th anniversary in 1998 to my village team just hit a few balls in the outfield and it's you still... actually hit with it you're not in a game well, I don't want to break it but it's pinged say. off the bat just mm. knocking a few uh, in practice it was lovely I've got one from 1928 with Jack Hobbs on it in the really? Australian team yeah nice. it's really nice. like a wand yes like I feel Harry. jealous now I, I don't I, have I think... any bats I've only got a mini one I've got a tiny one of those mini autograph bats that Alan Border signed for me once I think this is really the birth nice. of a new podcast here isn't it <laughs> <laughs> the spin might be coming to its season's end but people talking about old cricket bats I'm sorry concerned because so might have... <laughs> I might have new competitors online though because yeah. there's, there's literally yeah, yeah. only me that seems to be bidding for these yeah, bats and the funny thing is people don't realise the value of them because I think it's people clearing out their garage and putting on these these bats and I'm there going oh my god it's a ridge back and it's in good nick like I've got to get this and they've got it up for 10 quid and I'm just I'm laughing <laughs> This episode is a celebration of the incredible summer we've all just lived through. And as all cricket lovers know, when the action's over, you don't just call it a day. No, you stay up late and watch the highlights. So today we're going to go all Julie Andrews and share a few of our favourite things from the season. In my case, I've picked an 11, obviously, because that's what nerds do. But I would also like my guests' help, please. So, Andy, let's start with you. What was your personal highlight of the season? My personal highlight was being in the Test Match Special box at the closing stages of the World Cup final when, in my role as statistician and scorer, I'd basically become completely irrelevant. The stats had gone out the window. There were no stats for super overs. So there's basically nothing for me to do. So I just basically watched the most dramatic hour of cricket in possibly the history of, of the game in the TMS box. With, with no work, with lovely, nothing to do. It was it was utterly glorious. Sounds fantastic. And do, do you have a favourite stat from this season? Uh, I've got many. <laughs> Can uh, you I, narrow it down to one? To one. <laughs> it's very hard to narrow it down down to one. Um, well, I, I'm going to give give a World Cup stat and maybe an Ashes stat uh, later. Uh, ben Stokes, uh, who had a, one of the most fascinating summers a cricketer's ever had, he could have had two of the greatest near miss failures in history because he basically slightly got that World Cup finally batted a little bit slowly left himself too much to do then had that moment of luck and then took advantage of that Headingley could have been out right at the end could have been the run out so it could have been two heroic failures rather than two mm. spectacular triumphs in the World Cup he had five scores over 75 in the tournament batting five or lower the only other players with five 
75 plus scores in World Cups Sachin in 2003 Rohit Sharma this year both were were openers it was completely extraordinary what he did through the tournament particularly towards the end so that's that was my that was my World Cup stat also in uh, in the India New Zealand semi-final India's top three all out for one the first time mm. a, all of the top three have been out for one in the history of all international cricket, men's and women's. That was a fun game to watch <laughs> for many reasons. Uh, well, I am going to reverse the batting order and work backwards through my 11 highlights. So I'm going to start with the rank tail ender on my list, which is cricket fashion. Not two words you normally hear together. <laughs> Specifically, I think Paul Rifle, because every time he put his sunglasses on, he looked like Agent Smith from The Matrix. <laughs> It's a true story. If you don't believe me, go back, watch any of the games he umpired. But David Willey and Jofra Archer also get honourable fashion mentions for bringing back floppy hats for fielders. You've got a lot love of floppy hat, haven't oh, you, Colin? Well, it works. It keeps it off your neck and off the front of your head. It's a great idea, yeah. It's just Clive a Lloyd. Look. Yeah. Yeah. The maestro. Well, Richie Richardson. Richie Richardson, yeah. Richardson yeah. Yeah. I, was, I remember at the Oval in 1991, England-West Indies Test match, Richie Richardson was running after a ball in the field and his hat came off and there was an audible gasp <laughs> I think did he stop ever seen Richie did Richardson he stop to go hat. back get his hat before he got the ball caught <laughs> <laughs> it actually speaking of sunglasses as well it was the, it was the Ed Smith James Taylor combination whenever they were sitting next to each other in the stand and they looked like because Ed is quite tall and James is, is kind of one of the few cricketers I can actually look directly in the eye when I interview him. I spent too much time trying to interview the likes of Pat Cummins and Stuart Broad this season and, you know, my right shoulder hasn't quite recovered because of the reaching out with the microphone. But, they, but the two of them sitting together, I mean, they did look like a detective pairing from a kind of an afternoon... Um, I mean, actually, Colin, it's the kind of thing that, you know, that, that, mm. that should be made. Film noir, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, kind of, of I'm not quite sure what they would be called as detectives. Sort of Lord's Confidential or... Um. <laughs> Love yeah. 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 Get yeah. that commission now, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> we would Something all Something sprang to mind, but I can't say. <laughs> In 10th place on my list, I have Music at the World Cup, because I think there were some top tunes at the grounds this summer. Let's skip past the cricketarist. <laughs> I know that Andy's going to object, but I will, I will allow your objections later. Let's skip past the cricketarist and just give a mention to whoever picked the playlists for the venues, because they are responsible for the fact that we heard Cypress Hill's Insane in the Brain being played at Lords, which you have to assume is a first. Harry, did anyone ask McFly to record a World Cup song? Uh, unfortunately not, no. We actually wrote a song for a, for a football World Cup, actually, but um, surprisingly enough, we, we were not in the running. You're not football-y enough? No, we're not laddy enough as a band, are we? Let's be honest. But it's a good song. It's called Home Is Where The Heart Is. But... Um, yeah, I I feel like one day cricket is kind of stuck in the middle of obviously test match cricket and T20. So with T20 cricket and music and entertainment, you can really go all out. You've got the, the colourful kits, the, the fireworks, the pyro, mm. the music, the lights on. And whereas test match cricket obviously is a lot more traditional and it's a completely different thing. Whereas one day cricket's in the middle. And for me, they didn't quite get it right it didn't go one way or the other you know it was kind of stuck in the middle so therefore it was a, felt like a bit of a compromise entertainment that's very interesting because as a 90s fan I thought you would have appreciated whoever put together the list it was a, there were some 90s bangers was, the in music there. was okay I liked the I liked the, uh, the England's kit a lot that felt like it had quite a retro mm. feel but I just felt the guitarist it was all a little bit kind of a bit contrived uh, yeah it just mm. didn't feel like it was like someone's gone right what entertainment are we going to do I don't know I, I'm interested to hear everyone else's opinion on I it. know Andy has strong feelings about these so I feel yes. like we have to just let well, off his safety valve so that he doesn't explode. Well, I, th I think I might have banged on about this the last time I was on this show. To be honest, but I, I objected to the cricketarist in particular on philosophical grounds and a lot of the music similarly on the basis that one of the great things about sport is the atmosphere of a crowd. And when that atmosphere is imposed on them by a sound system, it mm. disappears completely and it, it has an effect of homogenising everything. So there's no real difference in the atmosphere between different games. And it was, um, I can't remember if I talked about this on, on this show before, but the. <laughs> I think a you've talked about this everywhere, Andy, to was, everybody you've ever met. <laughs> one specific moment that, that highlighted this, which was in the final, there was a moment when there were three twos in a row by, I think it was, it was when Stokes and Butler were building that stand to get England back into mm. it. Over the course of three balls, this atmosphere kind of swelled, and it had its kind of almost you know, the music of a mm -hmm. uh, of its own, and that was because there were no boundaries. So the atmosphere was, 
you know, organic and authentic rather than being forced upon a crowd. And there you know, moments when there's huge drama and you think, you want to hear what, how is the crowd reacting to this, whether it's disappointment, excitement, and it's just the same, the same, the, the blast of music and then the guitarist. It, uh, I think it's, uh, it's awful, frankly. Yeah, I, I've got to agree with you because I think there's a... Th- I love test cricket. And one of the things that worries me about cricket and what's happening with cricket is the message you're sending back to the young people. So if you want to get a girl to dance, you have to hit a six. That suggests that every time you... you have to, you <laughs> You have, to, you have to do something <laughs> crazy to get this. It doesn't make sense. Allow your actions to dictate the, the vibe in the crowd, as you say, and you will build the tension. You will, it's drama. It's a long game. And I just, I'm nervous because I think we're living in a world where actually people think that's how you do it. And you think and that actually, the nice boys aren't going to get the girls anymore? Well, I'm not even nice boys, but just the resilient and the, <laughs> the disciplined the and the focus the and the yeah. skillful. Let's yeah. face it, the Mike Athertons. Uh, well, let's, well, of course, yeah. everything goes back to Atherton. Yeah. I, I identified, Emma, a kind of an arc of World Cup or official songs of tournaments, which is at the start, so it was called Stand By, wasn't it, this, this year's song? And I've temporarily forgotten who... Who, by Rudimental. By Rudimental, yeah. Rudimental were involved, and I can't remember the, the singer's name. But but I think that there is an arc. When you first hear it, you think, well, this is rubbish, isn't it? And then you listen to it for a bit, and you, you think it's rubbish for quite a long time. And then it reaches a peak where actually you suddenly start singing it to yourself. And then towards the end, you think, why am I singing this song? It's so annoying. Because it was only the same, the kind of, same riff, the same little bit of the chorus that was played every time. Mm. And then towards the end, you start really kind of thinking, oh, I love this song so much. And I know that if I hear it, if, if somebody plays it a- around Christmas time, I'll probably burst into sobs <laughs> of nostalgia. That's musical Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> so at ninth on my list... I have cricketers having babies. Joe Denley had an Ashes baby. Ah. Moeen Ali had a World Cup one. Double R. And Joss Butler had a daughter just before the tournament kicked off. And I think I was the only person in the world who heard that she was called Georgia Rose and immediately said, oh, he's named her after a bluegrass song. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Do you know Matthew Wade, had his wife had a baby as well, which was induced just before the A-Tub for coming over here. Because, you know, obviously he wanted to be there for the birth. So they induced the baby like they did with Joe Denley's. Apparently it's quite a thing with cricketers and inducing babies or cricketers' wives. Because it brings runs. That's right. That's, that's what, it, what it is. Only got didn't he? <laughs> he did. But, it, but his um, daughter apparently was called Goldie. And I think I was probably the only person to say to him, is that named after the green and gold of Australia? And he kind of looked at me and said, uh, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> but secretly, it's not named after meant, yes. all the golden ducks he's got in his <laughs> um, Andy, your unbelievable Ashes co-host, Felicity Ward, yep. who has joined us a number of times on this podcast, she'll be having her own baby soon. Yeah, she is very pregnant indeed. So since she couldn't be here today, can you confirm that he or she is going to be named Marnus? after her favourite Australian cricketer. <laughs> well, I would hope so. I hope also she gives him a, a South African middle name uh, that's pronounced in an Australian manner. Which yeah. is Because uh, I was reading in the paper the other day that uh, Marnus Labuschagne's brother is playing rugby for Japan, but has retained the South African pronunciation of the surname, which is... Uh, an absolute ordeal yes, abomination. I was, I was watching it on the TV the other day and they, was, they were saying yes. in, well, I suppose, correct way. He plays rugby for Japan. Labuschagne's brother, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Labuschagne. Labuschagne. Yeah. I beg your pardon. <laughs> and finally for now, at eight, are the national anthems of all the teams at this year's World Cup. Ellie and Andy, you probably sat through every anthem multiple times during the tournament. Well, I say sat through. I presume you stood up like a like a decent person. Which one went on for the longest, do you think? Oh, goodness well, Sri-, Sri Lanka, they never let you down in terms of pure anthem length. Um, <laughs> that was probably the, the highlight. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because obviously I saw, I saw England play everybody in the World Cup, so I did see every single team. I'm sure that Afghanistan's anthem was you know very rousing and probably went on for for almost as long as owen morgan's innings in that game at old trafford (laughs) they were pretty intense but very enjoyable i thought yeah terrific i always get anthem envy actually as a in any any sport as a as an english during the rugby yeah well i mean the welsh anthem is right up there i mean it's impossible to watch an england wales rugby match and not suffer deep feelings of anthem inadequacy mm. I think it does seem unfair since we are the England and Wales cricket board that we can't just use their anthem do you anthem think we should adopt Land of My Fathers as the English English and Wales cricket board's yeah. anthem okay. or just what about one of the songs they use in the World Cup <laughs> 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 
you know that's what or sweet that, caroline sweet caroline imagine that mm. yeah it is a bit kind of maybe you could give us one of your mcfly songs have it please take it <laughs> please i'd be honored sweet caroline was actually written uh, originally uh, for catherine the great in russia that's a fact <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> Might be a false fact. <laughs> it's a factoid. Yeah. Colin, we mentioned at the start of the show that you're involved in cage cricket. So mm. for anyone who doesn't know, can you just briefly explain what it is? Cage cricket is a game that was um, based on all the games we played as kids, you know, in the garden, in the, in the galley cricket that they play in India. But we just formalised it. So basically it's you can play it indoor in a multi-use games area. Six players, red zone, blue, green, yellow, bowler, batsman. And on the walls, there's 10, 20, 30, 40, and then behind the bowlers, 50, 60. So we encourage you to play through the V. Obviously, one of the problems with cricket is if you're not very good and you're out first ball, how do you develop? You've got to face balls. So if we bowl you, you're not out. You just lose 40 points, the bowler gets 40. If I catch you as a player within one of the other zones, I get 20, the bowler gets 20, you lose 40. So all three disciplines are rewarded all the time. So you never switch off. So it's really good fun. If I catch it off the wall one-handed, I get all 40. So we, we did some work in a prison. And the skill set was extraordinary because those guys ain't sharing. They would duck and turn and catch. Great skill set. But the most important thing for me is that after every over, you rotate. But when you're in the red zone, you have to be the umpire and scorer. So that means all six individuals have to take responsibility for the game. And ultimately, that's where I'm interested in from a cognitive behavioural point of view because we teach leadership, we teach communication. And if we have somebody who isn't keen, we don't coach cricket, we coach the red zone. So we teach her to hold, which we learned in the prisons as well. So literally by hold, I mean, they stop after every ball, take the moment, ask the question, did it hit 50, 60, everybody happy, score goes up. Because then you can take that out of the game. Obviously, if you're approached by police, you approach, you hold. You go into an interview, you hold. So we've been working with a lot of, different agencies now it's, it's growing I was going to ask yeah. if you've got more interest because of the World Cup and because of the increased profile of cricket do you do birthday summer? parties yeah it's a great <laughs> game absolutely we'd That's love to great. get you in this is your birthday party it's something yeah. for, for me yeah this you is... can br- literally take it anywhere you go it's bat and, and so, ball numbers on the wall and you're off and right so any sort of quad any yep. garden yep. You, do you bring sort of like floor pads to mark nope. out the zones you just no. say how do you mark off each zone then well we it, it's Sort of, even you're in a football pitch, there's a halfway line. Yeah. And then you sort of have an agreement. Again, that's sort of just much like you play in the street, you know. But we have the numbers on the wall, batting the ball. And after a while, you don't even need those because you know where the zones are. And it's an hour and about an hour and five, and it's done. And it's individual, so all v all? Yeah, it's all v all. So that means you get that real cricket royale thing. I love my indoor cricket. And um, I took it to Oban in Scotland, for example, where it's very difficult to get 11 players to play a team. So now you can have individuals playing all year round. And then we have the Oban in the Highlands and Islands have a championship where they bring a player from any island, comes in, represents their island. And it's, it's getting exciting. We're working with the Irish Cricket Board and um, that's going to be their delivery tool. But it's Crown Heights in New, New York. We took it, I mentioned earlier, the grandparents came out because there's a lot of Caribbeans there to see their grandchildren playing cricket in New York. And they were like totally shocked. But what happened is, because I love cricket for that intergenerational connection. So how do you get grandparents with kids? Cricket, mm. it's the game and five days of it. And if you have it like we had it down at um, the Rose Bowl or the Aegeus Bowl, it's down, we had to cage up for a while and the members were really grateful because they could bring their grandkids who could go and play and then come back. So they always had something to engage in. So yeah, it's, it's going well and um, keep your eye out. But yeah, definitely mm-hmm. get McFly and we'll go because we've got Benedict Cumberbatch wants to play. We've got all, everybody. It's easy because you can come and go. It's not a whole day, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult. Does it reward old fashioned grinding opening batsman? If the ball goes out, it, right. it's a dot ball. So right. If you hit up above the ball, so you've right. got to get over the ball. Yeah. And that's the point. It's to play through the V. How many points for a leave? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, well, if, you edge it, if you edge it into the back wall, you're out. So you've got to, you know, you okay. really want to get on. But it's, it's great fun. It's a giggle. And in terms of the games that you've been to this summer, because mm. you've seen a few, what has been your favourite? Because of our work with Ireland, I was there at Lord's on the first day of the Ireland-England test and saw Tim take his five for... Tim Murta. And um, I think that was my highlight because there was a professional who'd been at that ground who knew his ground, knew every blade of grass on that ground. And you rarely... And I saw him in an interview the day before at the Irish Embassy sort of being so humble, going, God, I don't even know if I'm going to score. You're just really sweet. And then he goes and 
does that and that's why I love cricket. You also re- met Jofra Archer's mum, didn't you? I did out in, yeah, again, over in Ireland. I, was, I went there for the one day in his debut and uh, met his mum and she was really excited. But seeing him from the side, seeing this slow run-up deliver that ball was like, that took me back because I've seen Shoaib and people like that have played against Shoaib and seen him bowl. And when you see that pace, it's been a great year for cricket, I think, because if, I'm really in- interested in just keep bringing new blood into the game. So when I was with the Taverners, we built a pitch down in Sark. Five years it took. The first year it was a cow field, you know, with the mat. And, the, and then within in five, six years, there was a clubhouse and a community-based scenario. And that's cricket to me. That's what it can be. What happened to the cows? <laughs> <laughs> they were just moved to another field. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, they, went quick, to a, they went to somebody's personal farm. I've got a quick Labashane, Labashkakni update. Yeah. Uh, this was in the Times the other day that I saw it. Hard to believe but Manus Labashkakni. Labashain uh, was the brother of Peter who played for Japan. Uh, there appears to be no other evidence that they're brothers at all. <laughs> and they, the Times even put a picture of them, which they look uh, about as unbrotherly as two human beings can possibly look. So it may be that this is... Uh, More false news. F- fake news of the worst kind. <laughs> I, did, I did watch that, uh, that, that rugby game and I thought, how on earth... And actually, because I interviewed Marnus Labashain at the start of the series and said, let's just clear this up now, Marnus, because, you know, before we get going, what are we going to call you? And he said... Labashane. And so I thought, fine. And but, but I'm you know, I'm kind of a bit of a linguistic purist in a way. I mean, I did I did languages at university and I kind of feel that you should, if you can, get people's names right and do the correct pronunciation. And so then when I was watching the rugby the other day and they were calling him Labaskakne, I was thinking why could we not achieve that? Why well, I think you're, was, you're singing Jeff we, Lemon's song. Yes. Jeff Lemon was obsessed with this, and he's and the can, only he's other person the only I know who can pronounce he, yeah. that, the name properly. So, apart from South Africans, who apart from know, South Africans, right, well, I mean, apart from, I'm not going to cast aspersions on Australia as a nation, but the fact that he went to Australia and felt the need that he had to simplify his name. <laughs> <laughs> Before we head to the break, here are numbers seven to four in the Spins' completely unofficial list of season highlights. At seven, I have put the sheer volume of cricket because it was impossible to keep up with it all and caused a serious logjam on my skybox. Uh, I actually loved how it became all-consuming to the point where at one stage I left a party midway through to go home and watch the West Indies versus New Zealand game that I'd recorded the previous day. God, that was a classic. <laughs> it was. I did wonder whether anyone else ducked out of social functions to, <laughs> to go watch cricket or was that just me? I ducked out of the entire summer to watch cricket. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. So in sixth place, I've got the fans. There were life-affirming crowds all over the country as we've discussed whether it was the Bangladesh fans at the Oval or the Pakistan fans at Headingley but for me the one that really sticks out was the England-India game at Edgbaston because it was mad even before you got inside the ground I saw that famous Sachin Tendulkar superfan Sudhir I saw him arrive with his body paints and his mm-hmm. replica World Cup on his head he had his own entourage <laughs> genuinely true um, Harry I know you went down to the fan zone in I Trafalgar did. Square yes I did during the World Cup final it was amazing um, and thank goodness it was such an incredible tournament because it just did engage the whole nation and um, the, one of the first games I well the second game I went to was India Australia and it's just remarkable uh, it was at the Oval 95% of the crowd were Indians and they are just so passionate their love for cricket I mean you, you I, as a cricket fan I, I knew that but seeing it live mm. it's incredible and then Moving on to the Ashes, you saw the queues outside all the grounds. The grounds completely full up. Whereas, you know, for the rest of the year, we're sat at home watching Test match cricket on the telly, and you see these grounds are just empty. So you feel quite proud, as a you know, in England, we still love Test match cricket, mm-hmm. and there is a huge desire to come and watch it and get involved. And you know, I've already seen the knock-on effect. The day after the Headingley Test match. I was, you know, I don't know, it felt like the day after my wedding. I was very emotional. <laughs> I saw um, the video of you watching the end of that, actually. Yeah. You, you were incredibly... Well, I did, we just moved house, right? And we didn't have our TV set up. And I had the cricket on my phone. And I was lying on the sofa watching the inevitable loss um, that was about to ensue. You know, Jack Leach was walking to the crease. And uh, my wife, who was busy, you know, unpacking boxes, <laughs> uh, just... I said, sweetie, I promise you I'm going to be minutes it's I'm gonna I'm gonna be with you in minutes this is over and I was so casually lying down cut to you know 20 minutes later I've got my phone up on this shelf in the new kitchen just pacing around 
heart thumping you know it, my wife's suddenly involved I'm like Izzy you don't understand this I mean from the history of test match cricket this is the most <laughs> monumental thing that's ever happened and I, I was sort of crying and you know I, I wanted to call, call my brother and my friends but I had my phone I just didn't know what to do with myself and you know the whole drama of it and then the next day I genuinely I did I mean I was probably tired but I it, I cried twice this summer for watching cricket the World Cup final in Headingley just genuine tears and I spoke to one of my best friends who's huge cricket fan and we both agreed that the moment that got us was that over when Stokes started hitting those sixes it wasn't actually when he won it was like wow this is happening and I'm watching this happen mm-hmm. this is unbelievable and um, the next day I was had taken my kids to soft play and we were leaving the soft play and there was a group of kids playing cricket out in the park it's the first time I'd seen it in ages and then yesterday I was with my kids again in the park and, and a couple of nine ten year olds playing cricket and I just thought Amazing! You're seeing it firsthand what this summer has done. So, yeah, there we are. At five on my list, I've written down cricketers with personalities. But honestly, that's just an excuse to reminisce about Virat Kohli and Chris Gale's special handshake because they are the coolest. Uh, At four, I've got Lords, which this year obviously brought us the World Cup final, Ireland bowling England out for 85, and that famous Jofra Archer spell against Steve Smith. But also, after 20 years on the waiting list, I was one of a historic intake of women who finally became MCC members. Oh, fantastic. And so was Ellie. Yes, yes. Actually, we we should... I know. I know. What do we We, think? Was it worth the wait? Oh, well, it was was worth the wait. And actually, you and I just happened to bump into each other there, didn't we? Just the penultimate day of the season so I went on the the first day of the county season against Lancashire it's 20 year wait so women were admitted to MCC membership the vote came through in 1998 so you could go on the list as a normal person you know not an ex-cricketer you could go on the list in 99 so 2019 membership finally came through and I have hardly had the chance to use it at all because I've been watching so much cricket elsewhere. But on the very first day, I thought, I'm going to go on the first day and you can take a guest into the pavilion. And I thought, who am I going to take in? And, you know, and my father is the person who's responsible for introducing me to cricket and inspiring my love of cricket. So I thought, I'm going to take my daughter, who is 19, and she's only just started getting into cricket in the last couple of Mm. years. You know, she's, I'm afraid, Harry, she transferred her affections from McFly... (laughs) To Joe Root, very seamlessly uh, indeed. I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, yeah. You can, she can, she, Joe Root can have her. Yeah. Um, actually, Jack Leach at one stage, she messaged me during so the Headley test and said, I love him with my whole heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I thought I want to take her to Lords on that first day and take her into the pavilion and show her what I could not have when yeah. I was her age. So have you signed her up on the waiting list already? I need to, I need to. I, I, want, I will definitely do that. But to go to Lords, as you say, I mean, it was just, that was a special day actually. So penultimate day of the season, watching Derbyshire. We just sat in front of the pavilion, didn't we? And, and I sat On those there, very uncomfortable on benches. On those very uncomfortable benches. <laughs> Let's and campaign I, to change those benches. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but but I, I, looked, I looked around the ground and I just thought, this ground is populated by the ghosts of me this season and the places that I stood and the moments that we experienced so up in the media centre but but then walking onto the outfield at the end of the day's play and just going and interviewing the cricketers and going and and I told you this story that we that halfway between so at the half time point in the World Cup final I went up into the Warner stand to interview this guy who had been to the 1966 World Cup final the 2003 World Cup final so football rugby both won by England and was there for the cricket World Cup final. Wow. And we had this conversation and got his memories of Wembley and, and Sydney. And and I said, well, so how do you think this is going to go? And he said, he said, well, it's going to be tight, isn't it? It's going to be very, very tight. We might even get a super over. Ha, 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 ha. And how we laughed. And I thought, a super, yeah, I don't know about this. Super over's not going to happen. And suddenly there we were watching the super over. Wow. And it was just... I love Lords, um, but there was, you know, there was the World Cup final. There were so many great moments. So, so to be a member in that year, even though I hardly used it, felt like some kind of culmination of something really special. Oh, that's lovely. I was going to ask you what your personal highlight was, but I think we just I think heard we probably it. had it. I think we probably <laughs> had it. Actually, it was. It was. Yeah, it, I'm completely with you. It was Lords on, but but also Cardiff and Old Trafford and Headingley and. You know, yeah, it's been amazing. Well, after the break, we'll get Harry's highlight and we'll count down the top three moments of the season. Did you know that the first official Women's Cricket World Cup was held in 1973, two years before the men's? Or 
that a whole new bowling technique came into play to get around hoop skirts? There are lots of things to love and learn about women's cricket. As a part of its push to get everyone playing cricket, NatWest has partnered with The Guardian Labs to tell more stories about the game. Follow them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. Welcome back to The Spin, the Guardian cricket podcast that can see the umpire's hand hovering over the bales ready to cool stumps and isn't afraid to tackle him to the ground and lock him in a shed if that's what it takes to get a few more overs in. It's our final podcast of this very special season and joining me to celebrate are Eleanor Aldroyd, Colin Salmon, Harry Judd and Andy Zaltzman. We've mostly been talking about the international summer, but a quick word on the domestic season, which wrapped up on Friday when T20 champions Essex took the county championship title too. You've got a feel for Somerset, haven't you, Andy? Um, yes. Yeah, they played pretty well for most of the summer, didn't they? Their batting numbers weren't great, and I think probably that's what cost them in the end. Essex, I think, lost their first game, but no other defeats. So I think they were... They were worthy, worthy champions. I did T Twenty Finals Day with uh, with the BBC, and we were staying in the same hotel as the Essex team. And um, so this was, I don't know, what thirty six hours before the start of their decisive uh, championship match. And um, I think it's fair to say they didn't all get early nights that night. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, well, it's lucky a... it was a rain affected game in Taunton then. Uh, yes, they, and they and they, they had a great time. Both those clubs have a lot of homemade players, so it was, uh, I think, you know, good for good for English cricket that those two ended up at the top. There was a tiny moment at the very end of the last day of the championship that it looked like Somerset might pull off an incredible, crazy win, and it would have been the perfect ending. It would ending. have, wouldn't it? I saw, I saw the first ball that was bowled, because they were chasing the only 63, and they'd forfeited their innings, Somerset had. And the first ball they bowled, you know, they had the spinners on straight away and something nearly happened. There was nearly a catch. I thought, oh, you know, I thought, I'm gonna, sorry, Izzy, I'm going to be busy for a couple of hours here. But, but is that because, because we've seen so much ridiculously outlandish cricket this summer? Mm. Had it not been for, you know, Headingley and the, the, the World Cup final... Would you have sort of thought there was a chance trying to bowl a team out for sixty-three and a handful of overs? You wouldn't have considered it, would you? But maybe Somerset wouldn't either. Maybe maybe yeah. Somerset played as well as they did on that last day because they've seen this as the season of miracles. Possibly. Possibly, it's expanded our consciousness of what is possible. Colin's got to leave us now, but thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing your memories of the season with us, Colin. Well, like I said earlier, this I don't. I have a feeling this isn't the last spin because this is a long game we're in, and we must never ever allow it. We may become wanderers, but I will come back again and uh, share. And you must come live to a cage cricket tournament. Maybe your birthday. That would be great. Twenty third of December. You're free around oh, Christmas you're a, time. You're a, you're a, let's just do it on Christmas Day. That's Capricorn, or you're Sagittarius. Uh, Capricorn, yeah. Capricorn, you just yeah. sort of cusp. Thank you for inviting me. And um, like you said, it's been a summer of miracles, and it's cricket, and it's the spirit of cricket. I think Stokesy embodies it for me. That resilience coming back from all his trials and tribulations, and I think again Smith as well. You know, you felt the spirit of cricket looked after the right people. But um, thank you so much. And, thank um, you. I'm sorry I have to disappear. No, it's been, a, it's been glorious to have General Zod in General the podcast Zod. studio. General <laughs> Zod. before Zod. <laughs> Just made my summer. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, since we mentioned Steve Smith, uh, this is my test statistical highlight of the year. It was quite how exceptional Smith was. Now, he's 774 runs in seven innings, average 110. All other batsmen in the series collectively averaged 24. His teammates averaged 22.3. His opponents averaged 25.4. So if you compare him with other batsmen who've got 750 or more runs in a series, he comes out second when you set his average as a sort of ratio of uh, everyone else's average, third compared with his teammates, and fourth his average versus his opponents and in terms of percentage runs scored he's seventh in both of those lists but he missed three innings so if you only count the three tests he played in and the first innings of Lords he has the highest percentage runs scored by a batsman in a series of these guys and made 750 in a series so doing the elite of the elite and the highest percentage of his team's runs so in the game in those seven innings he scored 37% of Australia's runs off the bat and 20% of the runs scored by both teams put together. It was truly 
almost unfathomably extraordinary what he did. I think it's probably as well as anyone has ever batted. The only series that is statistically ahead of him from this summer, there's 20 series and there's 20 batsmen scored 750 or more, was Bradman against South Africa in 1931-32. And they had a decent attack, but nowhere near, I think, what Smith faced in England. England had a really strong attack and it was a as we saw, a very difficult series for batting. I think I think it was about as good as we've ever seen in, in terms of the art of and craft of batsmanship. I always felt guilty sometimes actually reporting on Radio Five Live because you know you're doing updates every fifteen minutes, so into the bulletins and then in, in, you know when wickets fall and so on. And every time they would come to me, it felt like they were saying, "Oh, can we, Steve Smith, he's still there." And this kind of, I know, isn't it awful? Steve Smith's still there. And I reached the point where I was thinking, we're actually watching one of the most extraordinary sporting performances of our lifetime, really. You know, as Andy has said, the the stats tell the story, but just the dominance that he had over absolutely everybody. And I had the pleasure of interviewing him the morning after he scored his double century at Old Trafford. And it was, you know, it was how grey and cold and miserable it was, that test match. Um, And it had been raining that morning as well. And so we were kind of sheltering underneath the stand next to the sight screen. And, you know, he came over and it was just him and me in a radio microphone. And he was as relaxed and open as I've ever had an interviewee with me. And I said to him, what do you do? What do you do to celebrate? on the night of scoring a double century in the ashes. And he said, oh, well, so um, so I sent Peter Siddle out to Sainsbury's <laughs> and he came back with a giant bar of dairy milk. <laughs> and I said, so, right, okay, so so not just a small bar. No, 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 the big, the big bar. Um, I said, well, because that's interesting because Ben Stokes goes for fruit and nut Yorkies. <laughs> and he said, oh, right, I've not, I've not had one of them before. Um, and he said, he said, yeah, so, so, I, so I ate most of it, but... Um, but I kept a little bit back for tonight because normally I eat the whole thing, but I kept some back so I could have some when I got back to the room this evening. And I thought, he's just a kid. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a 12-year-old boy in the body of a 29-year-old man. But he was just suddenly from this quirky, twitchy, difficult-to-watch person, he just relaxed completely because this was his ultimate happy place yeah to score a double century and and to feel as completely relaxed about it as he was it's steve smith's world and we're all just living in it (laughs) i have been counting down my favorite memories of the season and i've been really looking forward to getting to number three we've been talking about how heartening it is to see kids getting inspired to watch and play cricket this summer and I have briefly mentioned before on this podcast an amazing encounter I had with a girl called Florence during England's group game against Australia at Lords. Florence is four years old she was there with her dad and I was sitting on the other side of the aisle to her in the press seats she had lots of questions about the game and she was a total charmer and by the end of the day we were firm friends so I asked her dad if she'd like to come into the Guardian and have a chat with me about cricket. So, Florence. Yeah? Okay, here's my first question. Yeah? You have just had six weeks of summer holiday. I have. Did you watch or play any cricket? Yeah, I did. We were at Lords. Did you see my daddy when England won when they were playing against New Zealand? No, what happened then? England won that one. Did they? That was the first one I saw when England won. Did you watch that on the TV? Uh, actually, we did, but the Wi-Fi wasn't working on the TV that day. It wasn't? So we watched it on the iPad. And was it exciting when they won? Yes. Did England win the whole World Cup? Yes, they did. And what did they get for winning the World Cup? Medals and a big trophy. So, the cup. When we went to the cricket at Lords and we were sitting watching the game, what did you like about that day? Australia were batting, some were getting out. Yeah, that was good fun. Yeah. Do you play cricket? We do, but only in the park, so not like... At the stadium. We don't play it at the stadium. We only play it at the park, which is near our house. What got you interested in cricket? Because my daddy likes cricket. And when did he first take you to your first cricket match? My first one was not gentlemen, but girls cricket. And do you have any favourite players? 
Yeah, mostly Joe Wheat and um, Ben Stokes. Why do you like Ben Stokes? Because Ben is a name of my uncle who came... To the cricket? To the cricket. That's a good reason. So, finally, Florence, I've got the most important question for you. Okay. Do you think Ben Stokes should have been given out LBW or do you think the umpire Joel Wilson was right to rule in favour of the batsman as there was an element of doubt in the decision? Um, the, I do know what the sign of four is. Did you know that? What is the sign for four? Four. That is right. That, that's a good one. And also this is out. <laughs> Sticking your finger in the air. Yes. What do you think of all the interviews you've given? Do you think this one was the best? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Isn't she adorable? After Florence came in to record, she was spotted in her school's computer room and when the head teacher asked what she was doing, she said, I'm producing a cricket podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Harry, your daughter Lola is only a year younger than Florence. Have you started teaching her the laws of cricket yet? I uh, was in the garden the other day with a little cricket bat I've got for garden cricket for when friends come over and uh, Lola picked it up and I, I got a ball and I just underarmed it to her. And she just drove me through the mid-on area. I'm not kidding you. I've got it on video. And then I was like, oh, my God, you can hear my voice. I go, oh, my God. (laughs) I went and got the ball. I mean, yeah, I was slightly serving her up some half follies. But she just just was absolutely smashing it. So Kit's godfather, my son, his godfather was over the other day and we were playing in the garden and... uh, one of the rules was, was, don't worry, it's a tennis ball, but it was if you hit Kit, you're out. Because um, he was sort of potting around the garden whilst we were trying to play some, some garden cricket. And then he was there getting the ball, getting involved. So, you know, that's how I got into the game. Uh, my dad loved cricket and uh, my brother loved cricket. And so, yeah, I started playing on the beach on uh, a holiday in, in Cornwall, I think it was. So, um yeah. I love this insight into your parenting. I feel <laughs> yeah. it probably also says a lot about how you were brought up. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, tennis ball in a very small ball. garden. So there's and when we play garden cricket, it's all sort of test match batting. You're not rewarded for like lavish shots. It's rewarded for leaving the ball, blocking the ball. You know, we put sellotape on one side of the ball so it swings, and it, you set it up for it to be really difficult for the batsman. You want quick rotation. You know. So this is great. You are in, you are intent on producing test match cricketers, clearly. Yeah, well, I, you know, I grew up in that, uh, you know, in like I said, in the eighties, nineties, watching test match cricket. I, I love one day cricket. I love twenty twenty cricket. But um, as we've all seen displayed this summer, that when you know you get to the um, the pinnacle of, of cricket is during you know a, a five day game when it all comes down to the wire. There's nothing more exciting. So we've reached number two on the spins countdown and it's been a golden summer for cricket commentary. Who can forget Ian Smith's England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins or Jonathan Agnew's uncontainable excitement in the closing stages of the Headingley test. Sadly... He's dropped the ball! He's dropped the ball! (laughs) Ellie, I was just about to say we don't have the rights for those. You'll get us in trouble. (laughs) But we do have this. Yes, the time that Dan Norcross called England's miracle win at Headingley in the style of Aussie legend Bill Laurie, while comedian Atif Nawaz played the part of Jack Leach's inner monologue. So here he is, a glorious figure of Pat Cummins. He's so tall and Australian and magnificent. And this weedy Englishman, and all he can do is turn around the corner. He's rubbish. Totally rubbish. No round there. Not going to get anything from that, you specky four-eyed git. No chance. Still need two to win. No chance with you there. I wonder if there's a sale on at Specsavers. Goes back to his mark now, Pat Cummins, and look at him. He's just, he's, he's, he's hunting meat. He wants this English meat, this pommy bastard. He's got to go. This is what it's all about. Winning the ashes. Winning in England. Beating the English. Beating the palms. You've got to do it, mate. You've got to. It's now or never, Pat. Pat, Pat. Come on, Pat. One is the loneliest number you can ever find. Here you go, Pat Cummins. All right, let's take him out. Let's take the points off. No, he's turning around the corner. They're going to get a run. No, no, it's a tie. Oh, what's happened? The baggy green has been despoiled. Hmm. It's nice from this side. Oh, Struth. And now the bloody Kiwi bombs at the other end now. We're going to lose. Oh, look at him. He's just ready and waiting. He's going to destroy us. He's going to destroy the baggy green, the wombats, the kangaroos, everything we love and hold dear. No, I can see it all now. They're coming back at us. The bloody bombs are coming back like they always do. Like Terminator 2. 
Maybe I should get a tattoo. Wallop, no, bang, over, overs, good overs. Good night, Charlie, back in a pavilion with all of you. It's been one of the most despicable and outrageous comebacks I've ever seen. I am disgusted, absolutely disgusted. <laughs> I've got to be a shoo-in for Man of the Match. <laughs> so, we finally reached number one on the list. And naturally, because it's this summer, it's a tie. <laughs> the World Cup final and Ben Stokes's innings at Headingley. Two moments we'll be talking about for years to come. For me personally, the World Cup final wins on boundaries scored because I was there. <laughs> Whereas for Ben Stokes's innings, I was in Edinburgh watching Andy Zaltzman's show. <laughs> <laughs> but there are five of us around. You this did table. turn up late for that show, Emma. You, you walked in about. I mean, all the other cricket fans got there for the start. That's you wandered in ten minutes late. <laughs> I can only blame my my pilot. Right. Yeah, my pilot who was getting me up to Your Edinburgh. Your own personal pilot. Like, what did the Guardian pay you? <laughs> I've sacrificed many things. Well, there was one time we were in Ireland doing a TV show and Rod Stewart was on the same show as us and he had his private jet ready to fly back and he invited us, all the McFly boys, to come on the private jet. And there was only space for three of the guys and I sort of sacrificed the space. Little did they know, ashes were on. <laughs> so I, sta- I stayed in the hotel room and watched the ashes. It was, I think, when it was in Australia, so I stayed up late watching whilst they got a private jet back with Rod's shirt. Yeah. yeah, there we go. I hope you also then used that to eventually kind of call in another favour saying, heck, guys, I guys, did that for you. Exactly, yeah, little do they know. And also, actually, Rod Stewart um, graffitied on their passports, so they had to get new passports. So <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, I didn't have the admin of applying for a new passport, thankfully, so I made the right choice. Well, there are four of us around this table, so we can put it to a vote. Who's going to pick the World Cup final and who's going to go for the Headingley Miracle as the best moment of the summer? For the same reason as you, I'll pick the World Cup final because I was there working in inverted commas. But the, the Headingley match was, you know, one of the pinnacles of uh, of Test cricket. I'm not sure it was necessarily the you know, the best match as people say because I think there was a lot of pretty moderate cricket played through it. But in terms of the the drama of the ending and similar to the World Cup final, you know, the, the, those sort of hours of drama I think were as good as there's ever been in cricket. What about you, Ellie? Which one are you going for? It's so difficult because I'm a, I'm a Test match purist as well, and I you know I love the Ashes. And if you'd said to me beforehand, Ashes or World Cup final, which do you want to win? And I would have probably said, yeah, it's probably going to be the Ashes. But I remember reading some articles before the World Cup, which were about you know highlights of previous World Cups, and you know, and it was this was the highlight of '99. You know, this was the story of uh, you know the, the first World Cup final, and and you know, and, and the West Indies and all this kind of thing. And actually, it just just felt to me that you, you know you could you could write a book about previous World Cups, but you could write a book about the last hour of that World Cup final. Yes just on its own and the number of incidents and the twists and the turns and the moments of brilliance and the, the unlikeliness of that six, the overthrows from, from Ben Stokes, just just the run out at the end, the Joss Butler getting into position. You know, you could relive all of those things. It was just sporting drama at its most pure. So Harry, can we make this unanimous? Are you going to vote for World Cup final too? I'm afraid not for Ooh. me. Yeah, and, and and I was at the World Cup final and I was there saying, we will never see drama like it. That was just incredible. It was, it was ridiculous. What was so... Can I also remind you that in the middle, uh, in the we interval... Saw, I saw you. And I told you that England were going to win Yes, it. but you were overconfident. <laughs> you were like, we're going to win! And I, was, I was like, hang on a second. It's not going to be that. I said to you, didn't I say it's not going to be simple? You did. And... Um, did I think you say what super was, over though? I didn't say super <laughs> over. I, I think what's so satisfying is that in the build-up, England were just accused of being these, you know, flat-track bullies and that's all we were good for, 400 plus, and that's what we all come to expect. And obviously it wasn't like that. The pitches weren't set up like that. It was extremely difficult. And so in the run chase of 240 or whatever it was, with those three, four wickets down, when uh, Butler came to the crease, you know, at that point it was... New Zealand's to lose and Stokes and Butler played the most brilliant innings they just took their time the minute Butler came in he, and he got a two I think it was and I was just like yes he's got two right? brilliant you know, we're cheering twos here this is what it's about and timing it it was so perfect the way they played it I mean you were right they did maybe leave it slightly late and the overthrows was you know very lucky but 
The reason why um, I choose Headingley was just the sheer contrast and the drama. The game was over. It was over. You know, there was no way we were going to win. The days before as well, Root and Denley just giving that slight sense of hope and then Root getting out early on and Bairstow coming in, changing the feel slightly. And it was just teetering. England England had been all out for 67. Exactly. All out for 67. And we were there as fans and the press and everyone was thinking, this is it, it's over, we've lost it. And... But it was simmering, you know, and what Stokes did, and of course, and mentioned for Leach, um, was incredible. And let's not forget the the fumble from Lyon, the review that they used because they thought, well, we might as well. And then the LB, LBW decision. Well, then McGrath's face in that. Oh, it was, it was just. just, and then the last ball, you know, he was there. Can you believe it? I was watching it on my phone. The last ball, it, Cummings was running into bowl and I got a notification through. <laughs> saying England have won and so I I didn't get to live the moment of that cut shot the sweetest sounding cut shot ever wow Uh, I know satellite delays boo I know there we go and on that note it's time to thank my guests Ellen Roldroyd Colin Salmon Harry Judd Andy Zaltzman and Michael Atherton <laughs> I'd also like to say a big thank you to all the guests who've appeared on The Spin this season and also to Catherine Godfrey and Will Woodward at The Guardian for coming up with the idea in the first place but most importantly thank you to our producer Jeff who has made every one of these episodes happen with his characteristic brilliance not to mention painstakingly laying out our beautiful Test Match Oval every week <laughs> he can also exactly calibrate my mood from a single look at a cricket score so that's a skill I've greatly appreciated thank you Jeff it's been a pleasure to share this unforgettable summer with all of you yes there were lows having to record a show half an hour after England lost to Sri Lanka in the World Cup was pretty tough but they just made the highs all the better so there's only one way I can say goodbye and that's by saying for one last time England have won the World Cup (laughs) goodbye The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.